Oh, oh man. Hey, Steven, what's wrong? Well, I woke up Saturday. As one does. And I put on my favorite podcast. Oh, which one is that? The King Kong Minute, of course. Oh, of course. But there was a huge problem. What, bigger than a 24-foot gorilla? So much bigger. What was it? The podcast doesn't upload on Saturdays. No, King Kong Minute only uploads during the week. (sighs) I need more content. I need just a piece of it. Well, you can have a piece of it. For the price of an admission ticket. Really? Even on weekends? Well, whenever you want it. King Kong Minute uploads exclusive episodes on their Patreon once a month. There's more to listen to? Sure. You can subscribe to them for a small fee and get access to episodes talking about other King Kong-related content. You mean content? Yeah, that was my joke. Plus, if you subscribe to their Patreon, you'll be supporting them so they can continue making content for people like you. Well, what am I waiting for? I'll head over there right away and subscribe to the King Kong Minute Patreon. And welcome back to the King Kong Minute Podcast, the show where we analyze, scrutinize, and celebrate the 2005 film King Kong, one minute at a time. I'm Terry. And I'm Steven. And today we're going to be talking about minute number 13. This minute starts with Carl and Preston discussing in the car, talking about picking up a new actress, specifically with the line, Faye is a size four. And it ends with Denim in front of Kenny K's burlesque that recently opened. All right. So this is a prominent minute in that this is like, this is basically the end of the bridge, I think, as we're calling it. Yeah, um, that's fair. Uh, because in um, next, like on our next episode, this is the first time that we see Denim and Anne mm-hmm. interacting and meeting. And that's when, again, that's when the plot really starts to kick in. The plot but, thickens. Indeed. Eh, it's so, yeah, it's going to be thickening next time. Right now, it's just kind of mildly congealing. <laughs> the plot mildly congeals. Yeah. I don't You're like welcome. that word anymore. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, man. Um, if you don't mind, I have slightly been chomping at the bit. Then with... please, by all means. Like, with this little tidbit that I've uh, come up with. Absolutely. So, we start with phase of size 4. Yes, but she's doing a picture with RKO. Okay, so if... Yes. (laughs) So, obviously, if you guys are here watching King Kong Minute, you know exactly what this is talking about. But for anyone who doesn't, this is a direct reference to the actress... Faye Ray, who played Ann Darrow in the original 33 King Kong film. Mm-hmm. In addition, as we see uh, Denim just sort of look into the distance and just go, Cooper, huh? I might have known. <laughs> Obviously, Marion C. Cooper directed the original 33 film. Yep. And as Steven pantomimed for us just now, we get the original three-note Kong motif. Yes. On top of that, though, guys, this is, I, I think, the most in-depth note that I have for this podcast yet because we're going to dive a little bit deeper here because without realizing it um i actually became very well prepared for this bit so all right there is a plausible diegetic explanation for this comment i think i actually have 
a suggestion for what film they're talking about that Faye is doing with RKO at this time in reality. So let's go. The original Kong film came out in 33, but there was another adventure thriller film from RKO in 1932 called The Most Dangerous Game, based on the short story of the same name. That movie featured both Faye Ray and Robert Armstrong. Faye Ray played Anne Darrow, and Robert Armstrong played Carl Denham in the original 33 film. Mm-hmm. The film also features characters who are temporarily trapped on a remote island and must fight off monsters of a kind to survive. The film also used many of the same set pieces as seen in the 33 Kong film. Because You're my mind. Also set on a tropical island. Um, it was also very clearly a pre-code film from the way that the antagonist talks about women and some of the, uh, let's call them undraped forms of yeah. some of his uh, statues and carvings in his lair. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, the Most Dangerous Game, uh, it, it's a really a fascinating piece. It's a great short story, um, which is much cleaner than the pre-code film version. Um, you could definitely... Honestly, sleazy producer was involved in the production of the film version of Most Dangerous <laughs> Game because um, the uh, Andaro character in the movie um, did not exist in the original short story. There was no female element at all. Um, it was just the plucky protagonist um, against the predictably Russian antagonist um, in the original short story. But Andaro was basically added for, like, you know, attraction and appeal. Um it's not too, it's not like, it's not really sleazy at all. Mm-hmm. It's just disturbing the way that uh, the antagonist talks about her and some of the decor sure. in his home. Um, sure. Uh, funny story, I, ta- um, I used to be a teacher. Um, I taught middle school English for a few years, and I, in an, um, a unit that I taught on the Hunger Games, I actually included the most dangerous game as mm. part of the unit to tie in similar themes, because... Um, the most dangerous game talks about uh, fighting off man as basically the most dangerous prey and the most dangerous uh, predator. Um, that's the twist. This antagonist has an island fortress that he basically treats as a game reserve where he take um, shipwrecked sailors and uses them as basically big game hunting on his island reserve. All right. Yeah, it's pretty you have, cool. You have officially blown my mind on many things because I had no idea that was a thing. Mm-hmm. This scene actually caused a lot of like problems in my head because you know i'm like haha get i get it it's funny but then you're like but then you can't take this movie seriously it's it's it can't be a canon thing because how does that how does that work and now you, you saw that and you guarantee like, peter jackson knew that i mean he had to he yeah f- for working for this um and the fact that uh, most dangerous came most dangerous game came out from rko the year before king kong did with two of the same actors, with the, some of the same set pieces, and a similar setting and motif, I, I would be shocked if Jackson didn't know about Most Dangerous Game. Yeah, um, he would have had to. Mm-hmm. The only problem is, cut to me, um, not having previewed the full movie before showing it to an 8th grade classroom, and then suddenly having to <sighs> fast forward <laughs> past certain bits like, oh, wait a minute, that tapestry is not something that you, <laughs> you guys need to be seeing there. Oh, uh, yeah, don't, don't pay attention to that. Oh, man. That's um, funny. I, I was a young and inexperienced teacher at the time. <laughs> that um, is, that but, is really cool, though, because that solves a lot of my problems with the scene. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, I love it because it's like, haha, reference to the original mm-hmm. King Kong. But now it's like, maybe but, that's what the audience draws from it, but it's, it's actually not. 
But no, watch as I Phoenix Wright slap down the evidence onto <laughs> uh, the uh, judge's uh, podium. Um, but no, with that in mind, it makes a lot of sense that the picture Faye is doing with RKO in the context of the film is actually the most dangerous game, which was made right around this time in reality. There, case closed. The defense That's rests. That's crazy. That is crazy. All right. That is by far the most... Remember when you were saying we peaked yesterday? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> we will not come up with anything more interesting than that tidbit. You're welcome. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> like, I this this is my major contribution to this podcast so there far. Hopefully more, like, more and hopefully potentially better stuff will be found. But this is the one ace in the hole that I knew that I had just to really enrich the listening experience here. Yeah, that that's wild, and um, yeah, that's. I <laughs> I can also say that, oh man, I don't know if it was bad direction or Robert Armstrong just vastly improving in only a year's time, but the character that he plays in the Thirty Two Most Dangerous Game film, he's basically drunk for mm-hmm. most of the film, and the way that Robert Armstrong slurs his speech is nigh on incomprehensible for his dialogue. You can gotcha. barely tell what he's saying. <laughs> so gotcha. let's just say that his performance as Denim in the 33 film, major improvement. All right. That's, that's, and what's funny about his performance, the 33 film, the one time at the very beginning, they're like on the boat talking about leaving. And he says, he uses the word swell. And ever since then, I kind of make it a point to put that into my, uh, into some of my period piece, like books I'm writing or comic book I'm working on or something. Nice. Because that word is just like, it's good. And it was his, his delivery of that line is like, I'm going to, I'm going to start using the word swell more often. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is also really cool. Um, thinking about the 33 film, because this shows that um, Faye Ray and Robert Armstrong had acting experience mm-hmm. together very recently. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm going to have mm-hmm. to check out that movie sometime. Yeah, for sure. Um, Last time I checked, I think it was um, op- like it was a public domain. Okay. Um, I think 32. last time I checked, Wikipedia might even have a like it's kind of low quality, but they may- might even have just like the entire movie accessible on. I'll have to look Wikipedia. that up. I'll have to look it up. That's awesome. It shouldn't. It should not be hard to find. Um, it just might be hard finding a good quality cover of it. Yeah. My uh, my first note was uh, the original Kong score that plays uh, was by Max Steiner. He did the original mm. movie score, which he has he did like hundreds of movies. Well, okay, a hundred or so movies, and um, and uh, some of his most well known credits would be like Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. uh, which is at that point, aside from like Wizard of Oz, I can't think of another score from the '30s that really mm-hmm. is like well known. Yeah. Um, and he also did Casablanca. Oh wow, man! This this guy had stuff under his belt. Yeah, the like two hugest, hugest, mm-hmm. hugest. Hey, English major, is that a word? I'll allow it. <laughs> I'll allow it. He says. Um, yeah. So two of the biggest movies that I know of from this general time period. Um, and he did the uh, the soundtrack. So, yeah, I guess he was the pre John Williams. John Williams. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, movies like that. That is. You like comparing him to John Williams is basically right for the time. I mean, Gone with the Wind, absolutely huge. Casablanca, huge. It's in a different department. Yeah, well, it's diverse. Yep. So, uh, I had another note here. Was we get mm-hmm. another reference to Jack Driscoll here? 
mm-hmm. um, which I find I find it great that they're building up Jack, which, well, we'll get there when we get there. But it's also kind of like it's mm-hmm. almost an anticlimactic buildup, you know, because you have Anne talking about Jack. Now you've Carl talking about Jack. And of course, Jack is kind of one of the main reasons that Anne even decides to go on this whole thing. And when you meet him, he's just kind of a guy, you know, I love it. It's mm-hmm. It's just great. It's kind of uh, expectation mm-hmm. subverting. And also, again, like we mentioned, um, for those who love the 33 film and then are watching this for the first time, like, oh, OK, so he's probably going to be some kind of like really cool first mate kind of guy. Wait, no, he's a screenplay writer. How's it? Or not screenplay. Mm-hmm. Script writer. How's that going to work? They probably I feel like there might have been a lot of anticipation for his character. And when you meet him, he's just like, oh, he's just a guy. Just mm-hmm. Adrian Brody. <laughs> but we'll get there. Indeed. All right. So, jumping past that, um, just humorous as um, Denim is getting out of the car and just, God's sake, Preston, think like a winner. That is not the face of a winner there, Preston. (laughs) No, it is not. That is the face of, oh, crap, that was due today. (laughs) (laughs) I have, I've decided, because then he says, like, right out, uh, defeat is always momentary. I've decided that I want um, a picture of him with the eyebrow thing from Crap in the Crapper's line, and then with black border, like a motivational poster, and underneath it have Think Like a Winner, or Defeat is Always Momentary. Hey. I want them hanging on my wall. Hey, Defeat is Always Momentary is a great line and a great mantra. It is. And I just, once again, yeah. denim in a nutshell. It's true. Which, for him, maybe Defeat should be a little more permanent. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> maybe. Give it a, yeah, give it a few months give it a few months but yeah no those are those are the motivational posters that i want in fact mm-hmm. i'm probably going to make them and put them on our uh, eighth wonder listener wait what are we the eighth wonder discussion group Expos. wait it was eighth wonder exposition exposition group not expect not expedition that was a, that's our that oh, was ha-ha. that's our clever pun we have totally totally made this facebook group by the time Absolutely. That this episode comes yeah, this, out. this is worry. a real this is a real thing <laughs> this is a real thing <laughs> but no i'm totally going to make it and that's going to be like the uh, the cover photo for the facebook mm-hmm. group is going to be a uh, think like a winner defeat is always momentary with his crap in the crapper's face mhm you're welcome <laughs> um next thing that i have to contribute is that uh, I am fairly certain that in the background, as we see Denim getting out of the vehicle, mm-hmm. that the bridge we are seeing in the background is the Manhattan Bridge. Okay. Just to geolocate gotcha. um, our spot here. Um, and Stephen, you can cut out my hemming and hawing as I'm pulling up <laughs> an overhead of... New York City. You think I'm going to cut it out. Uh, you, you, you poor sweet summer child. Yeah, uh, you dirty rat. <laughs> Welcome to the real world. We, <laughs> we, what's the word? We take our, uh, we take our mistakes. Nope. We take responsibility for our mistakes. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should take responsibility for my grammar. Mm-hmm. And, and word usage. I'm just trying to, uh, see, place that, just to see exactly where, um, on Manhattan, like we're on Manhattan Island, they exactly are. Okay, bingo. You find Got Kenny it. K's place. See if it's still yes. on Google Maps. Uh, I bet I absolutely guarantee not. That uh, are you kidding? <laughs> that that trash heap that burned down years ago. Um, okay, so from the angle 
that we're looking at. It would place in the right corner. Um, we are basically looking at Chinatown and the Lower East Side. Okay. Um, this is basically, um, if you want to follow along at home, um, this is the <laughs> southernmost tip of Manhattan Island. This is getting down closer towards the financial and the federal districts. This is not honestly not far from uh, where my dad used to work. Okay. Um, in there. Um, so yeah, this would just from that angle, we are looking at Chinatown, Tribeca, Southside, uh, South Street Seaport, which makes a lot of sense giving oh, yeah. in a few upcoming minutes. So okay. Jackson is being reasonably faithful to um, uh, just like the uh, ge- the geographical structure of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, it would make sense that he's letting out here because he knows, okay, there's probably, you know, there's like a burlesque nearby here. It's not far from uh, the harbor. You know, it's like where the venture sure. is docked. So this is feasibly an area where he might be able to pick up uh, it's like a girl on the cheap to sure. be in his film. I find it interesting that at the beginning, I feel like he uh, denies what would be my urge would be to show like really noticeable things in the background or, you know, cause mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I just, you haven't seen, wait, hold on. When did the flat iron building be con- get constructed? It probably wasn't by now. It's probably later. Never mind. Um, I, flat iron? you know, no, I am actually honestly pretty sure that the flat iron building was, already constructed um oh wait i think it shows up in the um the future new york scenes actually iron building i think open june 1902 okay yeah i think it does show up later my bad but um so there actually that kind of answers my thing he doesn't really show a lot of the sightseeing stuff at the beginning but at Mm -hmm. the end (laughs) Mm -hmm. you get all sorts of the sightseeing stuff Mm -hmm. um actually I can honestly, now that I look at all this and to tie back in with stuff that I observed in a previous episode, um, this, yeah, this would indicate that basically most of the scenes that we see in New York in the beginning of this movie would all take place in the southern tip of Manhattan because Hmm. we're seeing all of this happening um, between... uh, Carl and the producers, then them driving down to this location where Carl's getting dropped off. Um, in connection with everything we saw with Anne earlier on, um, I placed that um, one of the uh, the bank that you see in the background when Anne is talking to Weston in a previous scene was mm-hmm. approximately in the West Village, which is not far from here. So this all reasonably ties together. This is all taking place. Oh yeah, within it's relatively <laughs> love it um, within relatively close districts in manhattan that's cool so this is all this is all downtown this is all toward the southern tip of manhattan they uh did their homework Mm -hmm. um i mean ninety thousand detailed buildings forget that (laughs) i mean i appreciate it but uh forget Mm -hmm. that yeah um so then we we do come upon the the burlesque um, yes the burlesque show house Burlesque Theater? Yeah. Burlesque, whatever you call it. Well, I mean, it's live shows. Um, so Burlesque Theater? Yeah, it's a theater. Okay. That works. It's, as they, I'm sure they would say, it's whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Oh, Whatever noticed, you want it to be. Sorry, I, I just now noticed this. Uh, it wasn't in my notes, but um, we talked about the strict anti-smoking laws. Um, mm-hmm. 
lot of people smoking in the background in this one. So I guess uh, it's probably just the the, pre- the opening New York stuff smoking was fine. And then suddenly they passed the laws and couldn't do it for any of the, mm-hmm. the later stuff. Because you see at least two people smoking in the background. And then one of the uh, burlesque girls is smoking as she enters the theater. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for all we know, maybe it was just these were like the few exceptions that they were able to actually sneak in. Yeah, that could be. Um, mm-hmm. So do you have... Uh, Anything on the three burlesque dancers? No, well, but I have a feeling you do. I do. I do indeed. Um, They're not any big names, really. Uh, You Mm -hmm. have um, Belinda Lee Hope. This is her only acting credit, um, but she has more credits as a film producer and assistant director, like 20 Mm. credits or so, New Zealand-based kind of smaller stuff. Yeah. Um, And then Jody Taylor is another Mm -hmm. one of them. Um, I don't actually know which was which because they didn't have photos on their IMDb. Right. But Jody Taylor, who played a female Marine in James Cameron's Avatar. So that would oh, be cool. the second time that's come up. At least second. And um, But she's mostly a makeup department uh, huh. girl. She was uh, she did Thor Ragnarok. Uh, nice. She did some of the makeup. Um, I think it was makeup assistant on Thor Ragnarok. Very nice. And then the third, I don't actually know how to pronounce her name, is Krishanan Dixor McIver or something like that. That'll do. No other credits. This is the only thing she's done, acting or otherwise. Gotcha. So, yeah. But, I, no, I mean, like, that's part of the whole reason that Jackson insisted on doing this in New Zealand. The same thing with mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He wanted to employ New Zealand-based film industry people. Yeah. And he and certainly did wouldn't, that. You wouldn't know it. Nope. They, it's, that's pure New York. Yeah, no, I think, honestly, as a kid, I... I honestly always believed that they had just actually filmed in New York and just used CG to like layer over things basically. And then used some uh, like period authentic set pieces. I, yeah, that's pretty much what I thought as well. I had no idea that it was filmed in New Zealand until I was watching the behind the scenes stuff. So Mm -hmm. that, and of course when I realized Weta workshop did it all and they were New Zealand based because of the rings films and, Oh, you were talking about those uh those hundred people working in the costume department. Mm-hmm. Guarantee you, those people had also been making armor and mail the year before. Oh yeah, yep. <laughs> I mean, at least a couple years before. The, like b- basically the same way that the stars aligned for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the same stars aligned for Jackson to finally be able to fulfill his dream of doing a King Kong film because yeah, he was just riding off of massive success, both mm-hmm. just critically and commercially with this trilogy suddenly he was the man to do this. I mean, this man just broke the record of numbers of Academy of Awards one in a single film, making the first fantasy film to win best picture. Um, like all of a sudden now he was like, he had incredible amounts of clout at this time. And now he was reputable with all of these people that he could just jump right back into two. Um, it's like slide right back into the same mold and say like, all right, let's get working, churning out this one. Sure. And they did. And mm-hmm. it's great. And yeah, <laughs> here we are. Eloquence. Nailed it. I nailed it. Um, that is all I have for this minute. That is a wrap for me as well. Woo. Are you able to come back tomorrow? I think so. Great. It'd be awkward if I did this alone. Yeah. Just be talking at yourself like a weirdo. Like most of my car rides. 
Yeah. Actually, that's not true. I'm listening to other movies by minute podcasts. By the way, <laughs> I haven't really talked about it all that much. Um, maybe I did a little, but I did want to just here. I'll, I'll throw in the plug here. Um, look up moviesbyminute.com. Uh, if you have a movie that you love and you're wondering if it's been done in a movies by minute format, it probably has. Here's the unfortunate kicker with that, though. If it hasn't been done, you have an obligation to do it yourself. Um, you have been warned. <laughs> you, you have been warned. It was, uh, I guess it was actually started by two different people, and we're really not entirely sure who actually started it first, but uh, no mostly knows. popularized. Yeah, it was Big Lebowski Minute and Star Wars Minute. But That's um, an aus- Star- That is an auspicious beginning. <laughs> but uh, Star Wars Minute guys, uh, Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson are the guys who started it. Um or who popularized it at least. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, if you, uh, if you are enjoying what we're doing, uh, and you have a movie, you think it might have been done to, or should be done to by all means, check out movies by minute.com. Um, and see if you can find your favorite film on there. If not get to work. Yeah, <laughs> man. I, I really feel like we should have brought that up earlier. Yeah. You know what? It's, eh. We'll, we'll keep plugging random stuff here and there, but it's true. All right. Well, with that, guys, you'll hear us when you hear us. On the next episode of the King King Kong Kong Minutes. Minutes. Bye, everyone. See ya.